Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, welcome to Series 2, Episode 6 of the Teachers Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Scott Cranfield, author of The Wise Bear Stories, professional golf coach and human behaviour and psychology expert. Through working with top professionals, being exposed to successful people and studying human behaviour and psychology, Scott came to realise that his own mental behaviour was why he hadn't performed as he had wanted to as a sports person. If you've listened to my podcast for any length of time, you'll know that personal development is something that's really important to me. And so I love chatting to Scott all about it. He follows people that I follow and we have a lot in common. I often wonder how I can teach what I now know and, you know, I'm continuing to learn about personal development to my own children. I didn't discover it until I was 31 when I'd had my first child and I just seemed to hit a brick wall trying to run my growing business and be a first-time mummy to a four-month-old. Scott wanted to pass something on to his children too. It's all about how we as adults can help children through personal development. Because Scott had worked with really successful people for years, studying their behaviours and understanding the mind, he also wanted to pass on to his children his knowledge, but in a way that they would also accept and understand. That's why he wrote The Wise Bear Stories. I often wonder how my life would have been different if I'd have understood these fundamental truths as a child. We talk a lot about building resilience in children and we can often feel like we are running on empty when we are sat with a child talking about what happened in the playground for the umpteenth time. During the interview, Scott talks about how to deal with those situations to help build resilience in children. His passion now is to help children gain new perspectives to solve their own emotional problems. The aim is to have a balanced mindset. This is true for both children and adults. It's important that children can get to a place of being able to change their perceptions, ask themselves the right questions, and reframe their feelings towards the event. For the release of the podcast episode, Scott has ever so generously given 20% discount to all the listeners of the Teachers Podcast. I've put a link to the website in the show notes for you, and even if you don't buy this for your children at school, consider looking into it for your children at home. I'm really excited for you to get something out of this, So let's get to the interview. Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Thank you, Claire. It's really uh, an honour to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So it's been um, a while in the making, this. I think, um, you know, we're in conversations back maybe in June and um, then we had a break over the summer. And I'm really excited about this one, actually, because the listeners will already know that I bang on about personal development and how I like to do it. And... um, I know that I mentioned in previous podcasts as well that I just think if I if I knew about it as a child or if um, if I had some something like that when I was younger, what what would things be like now? So I'm really excited to get into everything you're going to talk about. So just for the listeners, do you want to tell them your life story? <laughs> okay, okay. So probably the key points. I mean. I'm probably slightly unusual. So my my background um, actually is as a golf professional and a professional coach. 
Um, that was my love as a young lad, really from about the age of 12, 13. Um, you know, I was never particularly academic. I was always the sports side of things. And golf really started to take over my, I, I didn't start golf till I was 12, but it took over my life fairly quickly. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do. And um, it, coaching, I, I, like any young lad who, or young girl who's into sport, they want to be the, the famous player. I wanted to do that. I was never good enough to do that. But what it drove me to do is to understand everything I could about the game. Um, and what really became my fascination was the human behavior and psychology side, the mental game of golf. And it re I realized that the reason I didn't perform well was mainly because of that. And so coaching really became my thing. And um, I still coach golf today. I've been very fortunate that I was awarded what's called a PGA Master Professional status, which is about the highest uh, level you can get to in our, in our governing body. Um, but the human behavior, as I say, was my speciality. So what ended up happening, the players I was working with, and I, I was lucky I got to work with some of the best golfers in the world for a number of years. Um, I was fortunate to be a pundit on Sky TV and Satenta TV for many, many years as well. So what happens when you're in that situation is you get very blessed to work with leading people, people who are not just successful in golf, but in other areas of life. You know, you attract business people and, and people in different fields who are the leader of their field because they, they're interested to know how you may be able to help. So not only was I educating myself and learning as much as I could um, about personal development and human behavior, I was interacting with people who are at the top of their field. And so you get to see what they do and ask them questions, which is really quite interesting as well. Um, and so having all this human behavior knowledge, if you like, and this hopefully this ability to coach, um, then I had a, another interesting event in my life, which um, was becoming a parent. And that was really quite interesting because as my eldest daughter started to go after school, um, probably by the time she was five, she would come home with these different challenges that would go on at school. And I thought, well, this would be no problem. You know, I, I understand human behavior and I can coach. I'll be able to help her, no problem. Um, and how wrong I was. That was a, a new challenge as a parent trying to help your own child. Um, but what I ended up doing was, and, and I guess this is the reason I'm with you today, is that um, I took the knowledge I had, I took the content of her day, and I created bedtime stories. And those stories were based on real life experiences that had gone on for her. But what I did was at the center of the story, I put a, a character in there called the wise bear. And the idea of doing that was I was already sensing, you know, my daughter probably doesn't want to hear dad telling her what to do all the time. Um, but she's quite happy to listen to this third person character called the wise bear. And the wise bear would help her gain a whole new perspective on her day. And so she was learning almost subliminally, you know, she was taking this information in. But what we noticed was probably by the time of six, seven, it really started to work. She started to be able to solve her own problems, to see things slightly differently. And, and so it just grew from there. So I, for many, many years, I never kept the stories within our own family. Um, and then I just, I had an urge about a year ago to say, you know, I know these are helping and they were helping other friends of ours. I'd like to share this more. And so then I published the stories, the wise best stories, and then started going into some schools and sharing those principles with children in the school. And, uh, and it continues to grow. And it's, um, so it's really, for me, it's the love of human behavior, the love of personal development is taking all what I have learned over the years and what I've experienced as a parent and listening to the real life examples that go on, you know, with young children and trying to help them manage their own emotions, manage their own mind. And that's probably the, the key part of it, really. That's brilliant, thank you. Um, and so obviously you've mentioned going into school 
um, and that's not happened for a while. So, so what are you actually working on now? Yeah, so what I've done, so in my in the stories I've written so far, there's six in the collection. And as I say, each one are based on different real life examples. Um, but they, they are different. Um, they don't necessarily follow the uh, norm that many of us are uh, used to uh, reading about or teaching. And because what I've really been interested in is can I can I find the truth behind human behavior? And so because they're slightly different, I wanted to expand on them. So what I've done is I've been creating a support course for want of a better term. So now every book has four videos for children. And the idea is that each video helps the child take the principles from the book and apply them to their own life. And there's four videos for teachers and parents. And the idea for the, the uh, teachers is it helps them go behind the science behind the book. So they understand a bit more, why, why does this work? And also, what can I do to influence the coaching of this? So now we're, we're about to launch in the next couple of weeks, there will be a 50 video support course to go along with those books. Right, brilliant. So what changes have you seen then? So obviously, um, you mentioned that you created these books and um, you've used them in your own family and, and wider than that. What, what changes have you seen? In, in my family? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think probably the most important one is um, the children having a bit more of a balanced mindset. Um, I'm not going to say to you that they don't come home with their challenges. Of course they do. That's part of human life. Um, and the, the, probably the key part for me is they feel like they can solve their own problems emotionally I'm talking about now. And so that when something happens, if they have a friendship issue, um, if they have a confidence issue, if they have something that gives them a bit of anxiety or worry, they know what questions to ask themselves. They know how to look at that situation and change their perception on it. Now, I think this is a probably a really important point. They know how to do that based on the truth. Well, that's the bit I'm really interested in all the time is because I do feel sometimes there are models promoted, there are idealistic um, ideas put forward that can work, but sometimes they're not based on the truth of human behavior. And so what I've always been interested in is that. And so I, th I, I suppose the biggest advantage I've seen in my children is, is they now have the ability to know how to look at something and bring it back into some kind of balance. Yeah, I love that. Um, do you follow Dr. John D. Martini? I do. Because he talks a lot about perception. In fact, yes. I was talking about it yesterday, I was on a, a podcast um, panel with uh, lots of business moms and, yes. and we were talking about mum guilt and, and the perception there um, and we can feel more, um, if you might hear five comments, but your perception of the, of the comment that really gets you is because you perceive that to be bad or it's, it's the worst thing um, for you. It's something you're thinking about where somebody else might perceive that another comment was, was <laughs> really bad. And Absolutely. really the, there is no reality, is there? We only live in our own perceptions. You've got your perception of this. I've got my perception of this. But there's no reality unless you're not a human being. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as you say, it's it, based on our life events and our life experiences up to that point in time is how we're going to perceive that thing that's in front of us. And we're going to perceive it based on that. We're going to perceive it based on what's important to us because um, every person is unique and every person has different things that are important to them and so we process the world based on that and um and so as a result as you quite already say 
we might look at something and get frustrated with that. Somebody else could look at it and be not bothered about it at all. So um, absolutely, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, I feel in good company now. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that when I were a teacher, I didn't really know anything about personal development. And if you'd have said that, I would have thought that maybe it was about um, training of um doing some more CPD in teaching or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so what do you actually mean by the term personal development? To me, it's taking charge of your own mind, exactly as we just touched upon a moment, taking charge of your perceptions so that you, and I think if there was an ultimate, if there's an ultimate, to me, it's bringing the mind back into balance because actually when you understand the truth about human behavior and the truth about how the mind works, um, it is actually always balanced. And, and that's a hard one for sometimes for people to process, um, particularly as it's promoted to us that we should be positive and we should be happy in these type of things. But both positive and happiness are only half of the equation. The truth of the human mind is that actually it's always aware of both sides. You know, even when we see something like we touched for a moment, when we look at something, we say, wow, that's amazing. That's fantastic. I love that actually in our psyche at the exact same moment is also the awareness of where we don't like it, where we see the negative in it. That's the truth of how the mind is working the whole time. But um, we're not always aware of that. We don't ask the questions to, to discover that. And so I think probably the ultimate thing for me of personal development is helping ourselves bring our mind back into a balanced state. Because when we are balanced, we, are, we have mental wellness. Um, and I often used to say many years ago when I was doing seminars um, that you used to buy, it doesn't happen so much now because everything's online, but you used to buy, let's say, a television and it would come with a manual and the manual would explain to you how to work this television or how to work this DVD player. And, I, and it really dawned on me when I thought, well, actually, for these, these very clever machines, we get these manuals on how to use them, but we don't ever get one for our own mind. Nobody gives us a manual for our mind and say, that's how this thing works. And actually, this thing's way more powerful than any machine you're ever going to buy in your lifetime. This is how it works. So to me, that's personal development. It's like learning enough that I can, I can manage this thing in such a way. Not because I believe it's, I can ever achieve this state of bliss or this state of happiness all the time, because you can't. And I and often say to people, in fact, this comes from Dr. John D. Martini. He has a... Um, he poses a question very often. He says to people, if I say to you, are you always happy, never sad? Always positive, never negative. Always kind, never cruel. Always giving, never taking. What would you say? And they'd say, well, no, probably not. And he said, he then says, if I say to you, you're always negative, never positive. Always cruel, never kind. Always taking, never giving. Always sad, never happy. What would you say? then? say, well, no, that's not me either. But if I said to you, sometimes you're positive, sometimes you're negative, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're giving, sometimes you're taking, sometimes you're uh, yeah, positive, negative, what would you say then? And, every, and I've seen him do it. Every single person goes with absolute certainty, yes, that's me. Because the truth is, no matter how much we strive for a one-sided life of just being positive or happy, we won't ever get it because of the way the human psyche works. So, so I think that... Um, that, you know, coming back to your question of personal development, it's, it's understanding our mind and knowing how to work with it to keep bringing ourselves back to that balanced state. Because I think in that state, we function the best, we are mentally well, we're going to be able to focus more on what we're doing, and we will get more inspiration in that place.
Mm. That's probably so, a long, probably a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's a great answer. It's good to good to go deep. Um, right then. So we've talked about all that. Yeah. How how does a teacher or a parent understand and work with the individual uniqueness of a child? That you know, that's something that you mentioned in your um, information that you sent through. How yeah. does a, a teacher or parent do that? Well, first of all, I, you know, I think must acknowledge, I, I appreciate um, the challenges obviously a lot of uh, teachers particularly are going through and um, the idea of working with each child individually, I'm sure is a challenging one. But um, what I would say is that the advantage for a teacher, and, and it's easier for a parent, but for a parent as well, let's go back one step actually. We tend to see the world through our own eyes. That's how we see it. We, pro we touch upon this one, we process it through our own eyes. What's important to us, we, we, without even intending, we almost push on to other people and think it should be important to them. And so we, we talk to others as if what's important to us is important to them. And, it's, and, and it isn't a lot of the time. So the more a teacher can understand what is important to the child, the more they can communicate in that way. So let's try and put that into a practical sense. In fact, I'll take an example um, of one of the books that I've written, because I think hopefully it answers your question. Um, if you had a child in your uh, class who loved sport, but was really, really struggling academically, was struggling, let's say, with maths. Um, whilst you know as a teacher, maths is really important, um, and probably the, the child's parents know maths is really important, and we part that onto the child. At that point in that child's life, they haven't connected that. But what they do know is that, let's take football for a moment. They do know that football is really important to me. I want to know everything I can about football. I want to be the best footballer I can. I want to, I study every team, every player. Okay, so that's the uniqueness of that child. Right, now, we can't just let that child just wander off and do football for the rest of life because that may or may not work. What we want to do is connect it. So the teacher now with that knowledge might say, okay, you know, Sally or Johnny or whatever it is, how does what we're learning in maths here, how does it help with the football? Now, of course, the child instantly says, yeah, sir, miss, it doesn't help me. Of course it doesn't. There's no connection. Now, let's take a little bit further. You know, let's look at a football field. What shape is it? Well, it's a rectangle. Okay, so is a rectangle two squares? Uh, well, actually, yes, it is. Okay, is there other shapes, geometry on a football field? Yes, there's circles, there's half circles. Is there angles involved when you're passing the ball? Oh, yeah, actually, there is. If I want to shape the ball, is there spins and angles involved in that? Oh, yeah, there is. Now, the, the point I'm making here is that when we understand the individual child, we can then try and link what it is we want them to learn to what's important to them. Mm -hmm. Once they get that, now Sally or Johnny is going, actually, this is really interesting because now what I'm learning in math is actually going to help me with what I love. And I think that's probably the most important thing because I truly believe that every child wants to learn Every person wants to learn, but they want to learn what's important to them. Mm -hmm. When we're in a school scenario, we have a curriculum to follow. We have, you know, the teacher has a curriculum to, and a pathway to get through. If we can, if the teacher can find a way of helping that child see how this curriculum is going to help them with what they love, they will draw them in much more. Um, and, and so, yeah, does that answer your question? Is that I love how you're, you're sort of making these connections um, because <laughs> obviously um, I read a lot of business books and things and, um, you know, one of the things is to, is to make sure that 
um, you know, if you, if you want somebody to do something in your team, find out what they care about. Um, yeah. So yes. it's the same thing. You're just making those connections yeah. in the classroom, which is just really exciting. Yeah. So um, another situation, um, I went into a school and this was a year three class I was with and the same question came up and this young girl, uh, she said to me, you know, I really struggle with maths. And I said, okay, so what do you love doing? She said, I love to sing. So I said, well, how is maths going to help you with this singing? And of course, she said, well, don't be silly, it won't. So we got, actually got the whole class involved and we um, asked the class to come up with ideas of how her maths could help her with the singing. And where we ended up, and it was lovely, actually, by the way, that all the children got involved and they come up with ideas that really were, you know, blew me away at times. And we ended up that what she um, realized was that actually I can go and practice my times tables, which is what she was doing at the time. And I can practice each one in a different key, a different voice, and I can turn them into songs. And you could see her lighting up because suddenly now she wanted to go off and practice her times table. She wanted to go and do her maths because she believed this is now a way for me to get better at what I want to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so, so I think the more we can do that, um, it can really work well. I did it with my own daughter with English comprehension. She's into dancing and I've got to connect how actually, you know, dance is no different to comprehension. You have to show that you understand the piece you're doing. You have to be able to express it in a way that the audience know what it's about. And she linked those two together and suddenly she was more enthusiastic about doing a comprehension. So it's amazing. Lovely ideas. See, you've obviously talked about children in school and you've talked about your own children. You know, how have you, how have they been different then? Yeah, no, it's a really good question, actually. Um, I'll start by saying this, that um, when you understand human behavior, uh, you understand the essence of uh, universal energy, if you like, is to help us grow as individuals. And that means we're going to be given events, people in our life, challenges, different situations that are designed to help us grow, where there is nowhere more evident than that in a family dynamic. So generally, you'll find that within your own family dynamic, um, the behavior traits, um, the personality traits of those people in your family are the ones that are going to push your buttons and help you grow. Now, if you resist that, then they will stay there and they will keep winding up and keep frustrating you. If you can see how those character traits um, and the things that your family do serve you, help you, help you grow, help you expand, help you become more, then actually, again, you change your perception and it would appear as those things calm down. So I give that, that, I give that context first because actually it's important to understand that because for a teacher in a classroom, that is really like an extended family um, because they're with the children a lot. So a teacher is going to have children push their buttons. Um, and so rather than resisting that and making the child necessarily wrong initially. That's not to say that, you know, uh, whatever reprimands need to be there, that's fine. But for the, for the teacher's well-being, if they can see how is this child's behavior serving me, helping me, becoming more skillful at what I do, um, getting more support from others, going off and learning more, what is it that's happening that's helping me learn more, become more, expand more? If they can do that, what help, happens is you become thankful for the challenge rather than resistant to the challenge. Um, so for me personally, when I go into schools, obviously I'm not around those same children as much. So whilst that dynamic is going to be there a bit, it's a lot easier for me going to schools. Um, 
yeah, working with your own children. But that's why the Wise Bear Stories came about because I was already sensing me advising my own child was more challenging, but the Wise Bear teaching my children was very easy. Um, mm. And that's how they came about. Yeah, I love that as well because they just don't want to listen to the parents <laughs> they are the teachers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you think then just on that, that teachers have a unique angle in helping children? I think without question. Um, and again, I think, look, if, if anything I'm saying here is resonating and being of use, it's not just that they're helping the child, they're helping themselves. Because you know, your question about personal development, if, if a teacher can see how the um, situation they're in, the experiences they're having within the classroom, actually they can connect that with how it helps them grow as an individual in their teaching world and in other things that are important to that teacher. If they can see that, then actually they're, they're influencing themselves and by doing so, then, of course, they're going to influence that child as well. They're going to be able to, um, to help that child personally develop as well. Do you think it's a shared responsibility between teachers and parents? I really do, because going back to my point a moment ago, the dynamic in a family will be the strongest one. And um, if the parents cannot see how the child's behaviour is um, a, a reflection of them to some extent and b helping them serving them some way that if the parent doesn't see that then the dynamic won't change and so therefore we have this child at home that is facing resistance and 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 giving resistance and then that child then comes into the classroom and so a teacher now has a harder challenge there so without question if the if the parents can learn some of these principles then they can help that dynamic at home and then that child comes into the classroom a different place and equally as we just said the, the classroom is to some extent an extended family, so the teacher can also influence it there. Okay, thank you. So um, what advice or tips have you got then for, for parents or teachers who are helping to support children with their mental well-being at such an uncertain time? I think there's an overriding thing, and it's one of the things I said at the beginning. Um, when we understand the truth about human behaviour, um, and the human mind more specifically, we, we actually begin to realize that the human mind is always balanced. It actually always knows the balance between a positive and a negative in any event. But we rarely look for that. Um, we tend to seek the things that we think make us happy that are positive, and we try to avoid the things that make us sad and we think are negative. Um, the truth is we can't ever do that. They're always around us. And so from a mental wellness point of view, from a mental health perspective, I would say my number one tip is helping a child find the balance in that situation, helping them see what they think is negative, where is there a positive? And even to some extent, we mustn't leave this conversation without understanding that positive is not better than negative because actually we can, children can go into manic states. They can go into fantasy states if they search and push too hard to be positive that is no more well mentally than being negative. Both serve, both are required, both are absolutely necessary. The place where they will be most fulfilled, the place they will be most inspired is when they're in the centered place. And so um, the number one tip without question is can we help children find the balance in something? So, I mean, a classical one would be friendships where you know a, a child would fall out with a friend and they would be extremely upset about that. And you'd say to that moment, okay, you know, 
where was the support you, you felt challenged in that moment or you felt abandoned? Where did somebody come into your life at that same time to support you, to give you comfort or how did you benefit? Initially, when they're upset, they don't see that. But if they think about it, I've had multiple times with my children where, you know, my, my youngest daughter, particularly when she really stops and thinks about it, she says, do you know what? I actually went off and played with two other children that I wouldn't normally play with. And we end up playing a game that I really loved. And I wouldn't do that. But we all get caught living in a world of, I'm going to call it social idealisms, because we want to make, let's say, for example, we're criticizing a child for, you know, abandoning us and going off. We want to make them wrong. And we get caught on that story. And we ignore the truth that actually I went off and played with somebody else and I had a great time. Mm. But we want to make that one wrong. And, and that gets us stuck in that perception it gets us stuck in that place and we don't grow whereas if we say actually thank you for abandoning me at that moment because I went off and met these two other people that I wouldn't have met and I had a great time you just helped me grow you just helped me on my journey and, and become more as a as an individual and um yeah to me those things are they're not easy to spot and obviously I've been fortunate I've had many many years of, of looking at this stuff but I think it can make a huge difference to a child's life so what you're saying is it's our job as adults when a child's in a negative situation to help them discover the positives um, in that situation as well so they yeah. can return to that balance rather than just being so negative. Definitely. And, 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 and my, my ultimate wish is that we help them learn questions that they can then do it themselves. We might have to prompt them, but we don't want to give them our answers if you can help it, because then they're not searching inside their own mind. So when we go into the science of the mind, the neural connections in the mind, um, they will change as a, if a, let's say for example, a child sees a very negative event, they have made that connection in their mind. For every layer of positive against that negative they can find, they start to change that connection. And so they are literally rewiring their own brain. So the more they can do it themselves, the more they can find their own answers, the more they're actually taking charge of their own mind. And what kind of questions would you ask? I guess it's like coaching, isn't it? Don't give them the answer. Ask the question and let them figure it out. Uh, yes, completely. So, so take my example of, you know, of a, uh, a child feeling that they've lost a friend. So there are several questions. Number one is who took their play? Who started to become your friend at that moment or shortly after? Mm. And then they look for it. How did what, did, what is it you went off and did that actually was really important to you and that you really enjoyed? How did it benefit you, that challenge? Did you, and you might have to give them clues. Did you stand up for yourself? Did you get stronger? Did you go and practice something that you was meaning to practice for a while? Did you actually go to the library and catch up on your homework that you know you should have done? You know, so those type of questions, and to say, we might have to prompt them to go and find those answers. You know, in that moment, did you, sometimes it's not a physical thing. Sometimes it's in our mind. So for some children, I've had them say, when I've helped them is actually in that moment, when I felt abandoned by that friend, I felt my mum or my dad or my brother or sister inside me at the moment. I felt they were with me. So they had a virtual connection to their family. They felt a closeness there. So it comes, but the truth, the point is their mind does know the answer mm. and they won't find that answer unless we ask a different question. So would you say it's about sort of reflecting on it, dissecting it and trying to reframe the, the emotional connections? 
Yeah, I think a reframing is a good a, a good way. That's what we're really trying to help them do. And as you quite rightly said, I, I, the, you know, the challenge is we're all rushed, we're all short on time, and it feels easy to give them the answer sometimes, mm. rather than can we just take you know it's that teaching a fisherman to fish. It will take a bit longer than giving him a fish, but then he'll be better in the long run, and 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 then you won't have to teach him anymore. And it's yeah. the same thing if you can just take that bit longer just to do it. And that's why really why I did the stories. It's just they're designed to create a, should we say, a medium, a centerpiece for the children and the parent or the teacher to focus on that then that, you know, lessons and principles come out of that. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about your books and the wise bear stories. How, how could um, a teacher sort of use them in the lesson? Well, I guess this is what I know teachers have done. Um, and, I, and it's probably a reflection of what I've done when I've gone in is they will read the story with the children and they will use it as a, a conversation starter because they are slightly different the stories. Whilst they're based on true stories, they're not necessarily um, going to be typical of what this, they're not fantasy stories. They're not princess and princesses and all this sort of stuff. So, um, so they're a conversation starter. And at the end of every story, there is actually an exercise to do. There's a little workshop, if you like. And so they're designed for the children to then take what they just learned and apply that. So I think that um, having reading the story with the children, using it as a conversation starter, asking the children to do the exercise because then it applies it to their own life. And also in every story, there's an affirmation. And I know one uh, particular head teacher in a small village school, what she does is she has the affirmation up on the uh, blackboard at assembly. And she keeps up there for one week. And that becomes the affirmation for the school for the week. And that anchors the children back to the story. So when you have that affirmation, it just reminds the children of what they learned in that story. And then, of course, there's more chance that they will then apply that. Because that, that's, that's the ultimate, isn't it? I don't want this to be theory. Yes. I want the children to... to I'm, not, then I'm not for one minute suggesting they won't have their challenges. What I want is when they have them, is to be able to ask themselves questions to get out of them quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love affirmations. Can you give me an example of, of one of the affirmations at the end of one of your books? Yeah. So um, one of them, which I, I use my children a long time, is I get challenge and support from my friends and family, and it helps me to grow. I love that. Um, for teachers listening who have no idea what an affirmation is, yeah. Okay. So an affirmation, really, I actually, I'll give you the backstory of affirmations. I think it's fascinating. As best we know, it started with a French doctor um, back in the early 1900s when he could not get medical supplies. And what he did was rather than telling his patients, I can't get you any medicine, he basically gave them, um, he said, you don't actually with the condition you have, you don't need medicine. What you need to do is you need to drink a glass of water, but you must say this to yourself every day. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. And what he did very astutely was he documented um, basically how long people were taking to recover from illnesses before and how long they took afterwards. And what he found was the time to recover did not change. So when he was able to give them medical supplies to when he couldn't, but asked them to do the affirmation of in every day and every way I'm getting better and better, he found they recovered in the same way. And that's really, as best we know, that was kind of... Um, how affirmations become modernized. So they are a statement um, of intent that you want to, you know, resonate with. Now, I will say one thing with them as well. Don't, you don't want affirmations that are unrealistic that can't be achieved. So in other words, 
there is an, a famous affirmation, I guess, of, you know, in every, every day and every way, I'm getting happier and happier. Well, you're not going to. So don't have that one. It's because the brain will just reject it because the, the brain, the truth of the brain will go, that's not going to happen. So don't bother with that one. But to say every day in every way, I'm going to embrace challenge and be fulfilled. Sure. That's true. So yeah, that's what they're really for. Thank you. Um, so the books that you have then, so there's, there's um, it's a set. How many yes. are in the set? There's six in the set. And are they a specific order? No, there is no, no, not really. Because what I say to the parents, um, let the child look at them and let them take the first one that feels right to them. Mm. Uh, in fact, my, my youngest daughter, who's now 12, um, the video course I was talking to you about, she's actually going, because she's on half term now. So she's going through it again herself. And she's just, I've just noticed, she just happens to go to one book and just take whatever one feels right that day. Oh, that's lovely that she gets them out. Oh, you must be really proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice, yeah. Um, so what aspects do they cover then? So there, there are things like bullying. There are friendship issues. There is criticism, um, you know, dealing with criticism and what that means. There is um, what I call fair exchange, which is understanding the principle of not getting something for nothing, primarily. Um, there is learning how to um, love the things that you don't think you love. Um, now, this is very much the one I was referring to earlier of, you know, a young boy or girl loves football, but doesn't like maths. How do I learn to link those two together? That's really important. Um, and then the, 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 the final one in this collection is about uniqueness. It's actually appreciating myself for who I am and appreciating others for who they are. Not trying to be them, just trying to be me and letting them be them, but appreciating for who they are. So are those the aspects of personal development that you think are most important for children to develop? I think there is even more than that. They were just the ones that uh, I felt were would help people. That will cover a lot of things. You're going to deal with a lot of emotional well-being within that. Um, and you're, you're giving them principles that are life skills of, I'm going to be asked to do things in my life that I don't want to do. I can either not enjoy it, I can find a way of linking it to what I do like. I'm gonna be in situations where somebody's gonna want something for me and I'm gonna want something for them. How do I do this that actually we both win? Yeah. I'm gonna get situations where I'm challenged, whether it be at school by a bully or whether I'm gonna be challenged in a workplace. How do I turn that around and see the support of that? So it's, yeah, so I, I, I'd like to think that within those six, there's not many events in life that you couldn't cross-reference that with. And I think as adults, you know, I know I've learned that. I don't know whether that's the same for every adult, but we've had to sort of come to that kind of conclusion, haven't we? And and I know we mentioned it before, but it all comes back to perception. And our perception really does make a difference whether we're happy or not. I, that is it. In a nutshell, you've, you've said that. It's, it's um, completely that. Our perception becomes our reality. Mm. and our reality and whatever we perceive is what we're going to feel and it's our feelings that we know you know that's the change we notice we're either feeling good or we're feeling sad or whatever it is and and that is only the result of what we are allowing to create the meaning of what we've seen so it's I, I, we took it one stage further it's we perceive something and then we give that a meaning it's mm. the meaning that actually gives us the feeling and if we can change the perception not 
through anything idealistic where we can change it by asking a question to help balance that out then we will change the meaning behind that event yeah yeah and and i find myself doing that a lot you know when things happen that i'm not happy about then i'm a lot quicker to ask myself those kind of questions and yeah. and perceive it in a positive way yeah. rather than a negative way because otherwise you just start going down the rabbit hole don't you <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And, and, and left like that, again, for children, that's when it then, you know, they can sometimes go so far that it's hard to pull them back. Yeah, you can, but it's harder. Thank you. I've loved this chat. It's been so lovely. Um, you. Who was your favourite teacher at school and why? Um, my favourite teacher was probably my history teacher, Mr. Orr. Um, I think because more than anything, he brought some humour to the lesson, I would say more than anything. Um, yeah, that, that was probably it. The, the, you know, it was fun. He was quite comical um, and had a just a good energy, you know, as in he never, he never came into the classroom looking like he didn't want to be there. <laughs> he always looked like he wanted to be there. Uh, whereas a lot of other teachers. It <laughs> no, didn't always look like they wanted to be there. No, particularly with our class. It was quite challenging. Times have changed as well, aren't they? <laughs> um, and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I think I went through some of the classical things when I was young. I wanted to be a policeman. I wanted to be a fireman and do all those sort of things. But I was very fortunate. By the time I was probably 14, I knew I wanted to be a golf professional. Um, I did not know I wanted to be a coach or a teacher at that point. Um, but I can totally see how, you know, my struggles uh, kept pushing me to go and learn more. And that learning was not really relevant to playing the game. It was relevant to teaching the game. And then, it became relevant to helping people with life coaching and business coaching and then parenting and, um, and my own children and other children. So there's a really, it's really interesting when I study my, my journey, I can totally see how all the different things that have happened have kind of, there's been a very common theme and that theme is really about human behavior and helping myself and helping others get the most out of their life. Fantastic. So when this podcast goes out, you've got, um, a promotion for your books do you want to tell me about that yeah i'd love to any teacher that feels that what they've heard they think would be useful to them or uh, as a parent or as a teacher um if they would like to go to the website which is the wisebearstories.com um they can order themselves a set of the books and if they were to put in the coupon code um, simply the word teacher then they will get a 50 percent reduction which is not something we've wow. ever done before but we just to me i just I, you know i really admire teachers and i think that uh, they can play a really pivotal role. So if I can help in any way, um, yeah. So just simply put the word teacher in at thewisebeststories.com and you'll get 50% off. Um, and maybe by the time you get to see this, um, the video course will be there already and, and that discount will apply to that as well. Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind. And also I'm excited about getting this into, into schools because I feel like I've, I've learned so much um, about personal development and it's really helped me but as an adult um, sure. I kind of mentioned to you at the beginning probably because I'd had my first child and I was like oh how do I actually do this work and have a child <laughs> I was kind of, not rock bottom but I was in a place of yeah. struggle um, yeah. so it's good to know about it beforehand and and be able to deal with all those things so thank you I've really really enjoyed this chat because I love it when um, two things I love come together <laughs> Yeah. So, 
but yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. No, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. If I could just quickly say with what their course that you say about the teachers, um, I'm working with a music teacher from a school and an art teacher, and they're taking some of these principles and trying to find ways of helping children do art with it to learn the principles and, and sing some songs that help them reinforce principles. So I, I love what you're saying there, you know, you know, helping, uh, helping teachers and children together. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. Scott mentioned at the beginning of the interview that he realised that his mental behaviour was why he didn't perform as a sports person. So imagine the gift we can give to children if we help them understand this about themselves and really know themselves. We are so powerful when we take charge of our own minds and perceptions. If we understand that we all have different perceptions and keep that in the forefront of our minds, we can help children too. We all see the world through our own eyes, basically what's important to us. To help a child, we must try to see the world through their eyes and help them make positive connections to the things that they feel negatively about. We need to focus on what's important to them. Our job as an adult is to help children find the positives in what they perceive to be a negative event. I really hope that this interview has given you some insight and things to ponder over the next few days. For the release of the podcast episode, Scott has ever so generously given 20% discount to all listeners of the Teachers Podcast. I've put a link to Scott's website in the show notes. And even if you don't buy this for children at school, consider looking into it for your children at home. You'll find everything that Scott and I talked about in the show notes. Our listenership has grown so much over the past 16 months since we started the show. And if you love listening, I'd be so grateful for your five-star review on your usual podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP. On Instagram, it's The Teacher's Podcast. And on Facebook, it's The Teacher's Podcast. Or also on Facebook, join me in The Teacher's Podcast community. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.